Welcome back to the Locked On Cowboys Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Marcus Mosier. You can follow me on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosier. And joining me today is Landon McCool. You can check him out on Twitter at McCoolBCB. You can also listen to him on the Best Coast Boys Podcast. Landon, what is going on, sir? It's Friday. We're uh, we're we're going to have an interesting conversation. This is This is kind of a conversation that you and I have had a long time over mm-hmm. the years but we, it's fun to kind of share our information here about how we look at prospects and you know it's friday so we're gonna we're gonna kind of let it loose a little bit we're gonna call this smart guy friday right this is how we're hey gonna, i like it there I you like go it, like it. um so we talk a lot about prospects for the draft we like to watch the film we uh we, we break down at least a couple players every single week um but one thing we don't talk probably enough about is analytics when it comes to watching and scouting these prospects now, analytics is kind of a, a big, you know, hot button issue in the NFL. Catch how to all. use it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, today, we're going to talk about how we specifically use analytics and numbers to help our evaluations, um, and we're going to go position by position. Um, but before we do that, I just want uh, here's my general thought on analytics, and you you tell me if you agree or disagree. When it comes to using them to scout players. It's not necessarily about finding the perfect prospect or finding numbers to help you draft guys. It's more the opposite, right? It's finding a way to cross off players on a list, to filter out guys that you shouldn't draft or should avoid. That's, to me, at least the most valuable thing that analytics can do. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, 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 Just the vast number of college graduate NFL eligible players that come out every year. You know, you think about what the what the scouts have to do. Now they they obviously have to be well versed in all the starters on every single uh uh major college team in 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 F in FBS uh, and FCS, you know, uh, mm-hmm. football in order to kind of get an idea of year to year who the people are coming out. Now that obviously that means they know Every guy who's a draft eligible that's coming out of Alabama and Texas and all those. I think what this helps you do is really kind of helps you narrow down what is a, a very, very large field to kind of focus on, okay, look, if we cut out the guys who, you know, kind of don't meet the, the bare minimum athletic requirements yeah, for the threshold. position, yep. yeah, then, we, then it really kind of helps – uh, uh, you know, tightened up the group to a, a, a real nice, you know, uh, uh, sample set. And, and that doesn't mean that you completely discount the guys who fall outside that filter. But I think if you are going to promote the guys outside of that athletic filter, those those kind of, you know, guide rails that you, pr- pr- you know, put up for yourself, mm-hmm. then you better have, a, a, you know, incredible tape. You better have a, 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 a trump card. You better have something to your game that would make you the exception to the rule, uh, and, and because that's really what we're trying to, you know, cut out is the guys who are 
clearly not athletic enough to be doing what they need, what they're doing in college at the NFL level. Right. And, uh, and, and, and to eliminate them from, from having, you know, spend a lot of time grinding tape to see if they can do it. Yeah, if I was running a draft from, I think the best way to do it is you would cut down the list of prospects from, I don't know, what, a thousand? I'm not even sure the number that you start with. I mean, I, I'm sure it's close to that. And whittle it down to, you know, 80 or 90 names and then rank those guys. And then you can have a separate board of guys that maybe don't hit the thresholds everywhere. We could call it the scouts board, the film board, where, okay, these are the guys that we'll consider on day three and undrafted free agents. Let's go ahead and rank those guys. But the top 80 players, 80 or 90 players in the draft, these are the guys that we're targeting with our premium picks. Uh, I think you're starting to see some of that in the NFL. You're starting to see teams say, hey, we only had 100 players on our draft board this year, or 105. I think that's kind of what's starting to happen. Um, let's go ahead and jump into some of the positions and we'll start with quarterback. Um, obviously this is a position that is hard for analytics because there's so much of this game is mental, uh, and how you can process information and how quickly you can read defenses and deliver accurate passes. But I think there are a few general stats and numbers that can help guide you into the right direction. Uh, I'll just give you mine really quickly, Landon, and then I'll let you comment. Uh, three cone is actually one of the ones that is pretty predictive in terms of uh, quarterback success just because if you have a poor three cone time, it typically means you're a slow mover in the pocket. You can't change directions quickly. And we've seen, you know, in today's NFL, you've got to be able to do that. Uh, most of the best quarterbacks are, you know, they're around the seven, seven, one mark. Uh, a lot of the guys that end up failing in the NFL are the ones that, uh, you know, that come in at the seven, five, five mark. I know, um, Oh, Kellen Moore was in the 7.5s. I remember Mike White was in the 7.4s, and he's just a statue in the pocket. Uh, that's something to consider. 40-yard uh, dash, not the most important thing, uh, but any more in the NFL with it becoming more of an 11-11 game, I think I would start avoiding the guys that are running poor times just because when you don't have an athlete like that at quarterback, it limits your playbook. And then finally, in terms of passing stats, I like to look at third down uh, yards per attempt. How do you perform on the most critical down in the NFL? Uh, do you are, are you somebody who's averaging um, you know sixty percent completion? Are you averaging over eight yards of attempt? Uh, I found over the last decade uh, that there's been no successful quarterbacks in the NFL who average under seven yards per attempt on third down in college. Just one of the numbers I like to use for a filter. Any thoughts on those? Yeah, I, I really like the third down uh, filter because I do think that that is one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of variables across college football, so many different schemes, so many different ways to uh, uh, get players open and get, uh, uh, you know, to create uh, kind of not false stats, but, you know, just create numbers that really makes kind of analyzing quarterback stats mm -hmm. pointless. You know, I mean, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go play with for Mike Leach, your your numbers are gonna be incredible. That doesn't mean you're an incredible quarterback. Right. And if anything, if anything, I think what ended up happening with Garter Mishnu is that everyone looked the other way because everybody comes out of that offense with incredible numbers. So he kind of got overlooked in sort of a of a backwards way, right? Because they Absolutely. just assumed that because you know hey, everyone does that. That's not like it wasn't impressive. So I. I also, I mean, as far as numbers go, I think there are some other things that, that uh, you know, just measurements that to look at. They, we've talked about uh, 
uh, football velocity, throwing mm-hmm. velocity, hand size. I know that those neither one of those are those get uh, uh, beat up by a lot of people that that hate you know, and and it'll, usually because guys like Jared Goff and 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 uh, you know others that have had small hand size. Joe Burrow came out recently, obviously. Yeah. And said things, you know, they 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 talk, and I understand they they get personal about it, but I, I think that it, it, there is something to it. It is a data point that is that does, kind of translate to uh, uh, your ability to hold on to the football, and and also I, I I kind of think that you've seen that guys who have bigger hands tend to have an ability to throw in bad weather better. Sure. You know, because Absolutely. they are able to control the football, they're able to uh, uh, grip it and rip it, as it, as they say. The velocity thing is more of a threshold. Absolutely. Know? Well, it's, I was going to say the handhold, the hand handle, the hand is too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you're just you having a big hand doesn't make you be a good quarterback, and sometimes it, it, there's actually no correlation to the biggest hand quarterbacks. But it's one of those things. If you have smaller hands the likelihood that you are going to be able to throw in bad weather with rain, snow, or hold on to the football when you get sacked. Uh, Jared Goff is a perfect example, right? Yep. He he has small hands. It doesn't impact his accuracy necessarily, but he has one of the highest fumble rates in the NFL. Uh, is it necessarily correlating? I, I'm not sure, but it is one of those things that uh, you definitely want to see a quarterback hit that threshold. Yeah, and the same thing with speed. It's just, sure. you know, I, I want to see if you can get the ball where it needs to go at the, at the point that it needs to get there. Uh, and, and it's again, all this gets weighted, and I think we we should talk about weighting because yeah, I, I think you know all just because something is measurable doesn't mean that it's you know it, it it's equally as important as another thing. Absolutely, you know, I, yes. I th- you have to keep you have to keep in mind how important we measure all this stuff, but we have to keep in mind that that it doesn't mean that it all gets weighed the same. Some things are very trivial. Some things are, are very important, and I, I think, you know, with especially with quarterback, a lot of this stuff is kind of more trivial mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, it's really about watching the tape with these guys. All right, what about running backs? Because I'll, I'll be honest here, I don't have a lot of things for running backs that I look for except for speed. I just can't have you run in the four eights. You know what I mean? Other than that, yeah. it's there's really nothing there that I I have studied that correlates strongly to. NFL success or lack of NFL success. Yeah, I mean, I think what for you know, and and running back is really maybe the best example of a position that you know with analytics, it's I I think you know I want to see certain speed and certain agility for players that have certain playing styles. Yes, I think you know, that's like the correct the, way to do it. Yeah, like like the guys that are speed backs or, or change of pace backs. I want to see that speed in a, a translatable way, and, sure. and I think that, that that can be done with the ten yard splits, with the forty in some ways, the three cones. I think the shuttles are helpful as far as if you're trying to determine that uh, you know change of play, change of pace player A is actually you know that type of athlete. There is some usefulness usefulness there, but I would generally say, and you may feel differently than me, that running back is probably the bottom of the list as far as how much I put analytics into it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know? that that and linebacker are the two for me yeah. that I, I don't put any really stock into the analytics. I need, I need to see the players play. I, I need agree. to see how they process the information. Because both of those players, are. it's about how they uh, combine the, what they see with their eyes with how quickly their bodies move, Correct. right? 
And right. that's and that's really difficult. You can measure an athlete running uh, uh, really incredible speed, but if they can't get the mental processing part done sooner, mm-hmm. uh, in order, you know, while they're trying to see the hole, and this is on both sides of the football, while the the hole is developing, if you're a linebacker, you need to see it and then go. If you're a running back, you need to see it and then go. That's not something that's easily measured with uh, athletic numbering testing. Yeah, maybe eventually in the future when we get some more people doing some of these data analysis, we'll get some stuff for running backs. But yeah, the as movement of right, stuff, yeah, the yeah. movement tracking stuff, that that I think will be very interesting uh, data for running backs eventually. I agree. I'm hoping that eventually we get some of those you know next gen stats when it comes to yep. the running backs and you know their athleticism and how quickly when they see a hole open they can get through it and or they yep. make a decision. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about wide receivers. Guys, we talk about physical fitness all the time, but there's another side of the game that is just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. Again, that's 40%. With Calm, you'll have access to the nature scenes that LeBron loves, like rain or leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditation. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better, Get started at calm.com slash locked on. That's calm.com slash locked on. All right, Landon. Um, this is one, this is a position that I spent a lot of time uh, working on with analytics. Um, but I'll, I'll let you go first. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on how, how we should incorporate analytics for receivers? Honestly, I mean, I, I really like the way you do it. And, and I, I've kind of, uh, just to Thank kind you. of you know, pat you on the back here, I, I, I've kind of uh, really take adopted a lot of what I've seen you've been doing. I, I, I think it's, you know, there's this and, and pass rushers to me, there is kind of a secret sauce to a certain degree of, of being able to combine production and, and athleticism and find kind of what you're looking for. Um, but I, you know, again, I think also to the same degree, uh, I still naturally kind of want to filter these guys by the type yes. of player they are, right? Like, I, not not all wide receivers are the same in the same way that not all running backs are the same. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, right, that's so, kind of my general um, take on it. I'll do my best to try to explain this kind of quickly. So, there's a there's a couple different <laughs> metrics out there for wide receivers that are becoming a little bit more common, especially on Twitter. Uh, the first is dominator rating, which all that means is the percentage of the passing offense you accounted for in your best college season. Uh, the mark that we're look, typically looking for is about 25 to 30 percent of, uh, of your passing offense. Um, and again, having a great dominator rating does not make you a great prospect. But having a poor one typically means that you're not a great prospect. For example, since 2007, uh, there's been 326 receivers that have been at the NFL Combine who have failed to hit 25% of their passing offense in their best season in the NFL. Only three of those 326 receivers have gone on to have a 1,000-yard season. It's Tyreek Hill, it's Santana Moss, it's Wes Welker. Tyreek Hill got kicked out of Oklahoma State. 
So it's kind of hard to even include him in there. Santana Moss was a really good receiver on a loaded Miami team uh, when he was in college, and Wes Welker was a slot receiver at Texas Tech. Um, but it just you're not typically going to get some very productive players for those guys that don't hit that 25% market share. Uh, on the flip side, uh, the guys that do have the elite market share, uh, again, 350 receivers uh, since 2010 at the Combine that have had at least – a uh, 30% market share, 42 Pro Bowl receivers have been uh, selected from that group. And that doesn't even include guys uh, like Kenny Galladay and Stephon Diggs and DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley who have yet to make a Pro Bowl. Um, so that's just one way that we kind of filter out uh, the players. Don't necessarily draft the guys with a high dominator, but do avoid those guys, especially early, uh, that lack elite market share. However, there is there is one However, yeah, yeah. blind spot yeah, well, I was going to say, there's one Type blind spot yeah. in market share, and it's yeah. the quality of players surrounding you. For example, I... And this is this feels like this is something mm-hmm. that's kind Absolutely. of developed recently, right? I mean, like, because these teams like... Alabama, no, 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 Ohio you're fine. State, um, go ahead. Santana sorry, Moss is a great example, right? He did not hit the 25% market share. But what that doesn't account for is the receivers opposite him. He was playing with Andre Johnson who was mm-hmm. dominating at Miami, was taking up all the targets, and Moss was used just as a deep threat. The th- same thing is going to happen probably this year to Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Both those guys are first-run receivers. Both yep. failed to hit that 30% mark because of the talent around them. That doesn't even include Waddle and Devontae Smith, who are going to be first-round picks next year. So there is a little bit of a blind spot there. You have to add some context there. But for the most part, Dominator rating does help us eliminate some players in the draft. Yeah, and I and I think that was the Henry Ruggs is the one that and Judy uh, the ones that kind of really stick out there. But I I love the Dominator rating. It, I mean, because it's very straightforward. I mean, the, the hole that you mentioned, I think one of the things that's really valuable mm-hmm. is that you know the hole. Right, like I mean, that's really a problem with some of these uh, uh, filter thresholds. Is that sometimes you don't know what the blind spot is, and and that way, you really are missing people because it, it it you're not seeing the thing that it's 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 covering up, and you're unaware that it's there Correct. until after yep. somebody slips through and becomes a, a great player. So this it's very clear. You know where to look for these guys who may be slipping through the cracks. You look in the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the you know the places where the talent is stacking up with multiple, multiple mm-hmm. five star. Now, know, if you want to, you know, whittle the the list down even further for the guys that do hit that market share, you can use some other data points such as Spark. Uh, get rid of all the non NFL caliber athletes. That'll help shorten the list. Uh, breakout age is what you know the first year that you hit the the thirty percent mark. Uh, there's some older receivers that hit it. Typically, that means that uh, you weren't very productive earlier in your career and you're not going to do it in the NFL. Uh, just other things to consider. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the offensive line. Uh, and you would think that there's not a certain metric here that would match up, but I, I, I'm starting to realize there is one that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what do you think about the 20-yard shuttle for offensive linemen in predicting uh, their future success? Yep. That's the one. I mean, that's the, the. I mean, all indications. If you just go back historically and look at the twenty-yard shuttles, it's been. Uh, I mean, as close as you can get to a one-to-one match for uh, analytic, uh, you know, 
filtering and uh, athletic, you know, and, and truly elite athletes at their positions. I mean, even across other positions, uh, I, short of maybe cornerbacks in the 40, I, I think that the 20 yard shuttle is an incredible indicator for offensive linemen and whether they have the requisite off uh, athleticism to play in the league. I, I, it's, it's, you know, in uh, one of the positions that is notoriously difficult to kind of measure talent by athletic testing because of it, it being so much of a strength position. And, and frankly, I think that as a, as a, you know, as a community, we have not done a good no. job at nope. measuring strength at the combine or through testing. I think that there's, I mean, the bench press is woefully pathetic at, at measuring what we're trying to get. So, I think, you know, outside of being able to measure that and be able to measure, you know, <laughs> hashtag grit and hashtag toughness, which, I mean, are, are are buzzwords, but I think very real. I think the 20-yard shuttle is uh, is about as good as you're going to get for a filter for all. I agree. 20-yard shuttle is definitely the most predictive. Uh, actually, 40-yard dash. Well, you wouldn't think 40-yard dash would matter that much for offensive linemen, but it does seem like a lot of the best offensive linemen in the league Run fast 40s. If you search uh, mock draftable and just pull up the fastest 40-yard dash for offensive linemen, here are the top five names. Teron Armstead, Lane Johnson, Joe Staley, Trent Williams, and Brian O'Neill, who's been a pretty good tackle for Minnesota. And then go down a little further, Richie Incognito is there, Jason Kelsey, Eric McCoy, Tristan Wurst from this year. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't going to tell you who is the best offensive lineman every year. But those guys that have that elite athleticism, the elite speed – Typically, do work out in the NFL. Um, yeah, that's that's why it's not a great filter, but it's good for helping you find uh, potential uh, guys who may be slipping through the cracks. That you're like, oh, this yes. guy might actually be better than we think he is. Because I don't think you know it's not a great filter because I think there's a lot of good offensive linemen out Absolutely. there yes. that didn't run great forties, but there are very few. Bad offensive Well, can I give you a, a name? That I, I, this year's that a perfect example. Ezra Cleveland from uh, Boise State. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know how much you knew about him. Exactly. I, I didn't know yes. anything about him going into the combine. Uh, but he, I mean, was an absolute star. I, he's almost a three-sigma athlete for an offensive lineman. Ran a 4-9-3-40. Now it's time to go back and look at his tape. Is that Does he play to that athleticism on the field? He's somebody that could certainly rise up draft boards. Um Let's move to the other side of the ball. Uh, yeah. Defensive linemen, specifically edge rushers. Uh, this is another position where we've done a lot of work. Um, what we have seen over the last couple of years is if you have at least average athleticism with above average tackle for a loss production, the odds of you hitting in the NFL is very, very good. Now, if you are somebody who, ha- who has elite athleticism and elite production, uh, then you're talking about potentially top five, six picks. Uh, the guys that have that are your Chase Young, your Vaughn Miller, your Josh Allens, Greg Hardy, Vic Beasley, uh, those type of players. Um, while that's all well and good, what's actually more important here is being able to filter out the bad guys, right? The ones that uh, don't have ideal sack production or, call- or tackle for last production in college likely aren't going to do it in the NFL unless they have elite athleticism. The best example there is Daniil Hunter, right? Somebody who was young, didn't, wasn't really yeah. sure what he was doing yep. in college, but was such an elite athlete that he was able to figure it out in the NFL. If you're somebody who has below average athleticism, below average production, you're probably not going to make it in the NFL. Perfect example is Taco Charlton. 
uh, did not have the type of college production that you could like, tested as a pretty poor athlete. There's really no reason for him to be a first-round pick, uh, and it, it proved that he, he, you know, it proved over the last couple of years that uh, that came to be true. Uh, any any thoughts on the edge rushers? No, I think the edge rushers are pretty straightforward. I think a lot of us have been aware of the correlation between athleticism testing mm-hmm. and pr- production in college and what that translates to uh, the edge. I think we've all lived sure. this through with the T.J. Watt talking yeah. thing. So uh, shout out to Justice Muscada. He was really the first one to start looking at this. I think it was in like the yeah, 2014 absolutely. draft. Uh, combining athleticism and production, uh, and you get to you kind of can find the elite pass rushers. Uh, we thought, yeah, yeah, force players. Force uh, you see math rushers. I know he t- he changed the name all over, but uh, mm-hmm. something to pay attention to. Uh, we t- yeah, he's less good yeah, at branding as he is at uh, coming up with defensive formulas. tackles. Um, <laughs> you can certainly use the same kind of numbers to tackle for a loss and athleticism. However, there's a little bit more variance here. Uh, we were just talking pre-show about Derek Brown, and I think sometimes you need to add some context here because defensive tackle position where if you put yeah. together a database of players like I have, you have guys that weigh 280 pounds like Ed Oliver all the way to guys that weigh 365 pounds like a Brandon Williams, and there's a whole bunch of guys in between. What do you look for when it comes to defensive tackles? Again, I, I think this kind of goes back to, uh, you know, what we discussed with some of the other positions where it it depends on the kind of player Mm -hmm. inside of the position, right? Defensive tackle is a catch-all. Your your 350-pound nose tackle should not be held to the same filters as your 287-pound three technique, you know? Uh, So I I think really uh, some of the things we discussed, you know, 10-yard split, I I think 10-yard split for almost every player at any position has some value. I I really do. Um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, depending on the position, I think for corner, 40s mm. are still very important uh, because sure. they do have to run 40 yards sometimes. But I think 10-yard split is an actual more, uh, uh, you know, kind of accurate look of what actual most NFL players do, uh, uh, you know, in movement-wise on the field, especially defensive linemen, line, people that are getting off the ball quickly. 10 yards yeah. at a time is about as far as you're going, right? Um, so I think 10-yard split's important. I think uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, broad jumps, vertical jumps can be important because it, it shows a level of athleticism off the ball. Um, and I think that, you know, I, we, we haven't really discussed it with the offensive linemen or anything, but I, I think, you know, arm length is something that's in, that is valuable sure. at, at all of these positions as well to a certain degree. Uh, it's not a... Uh, uh, it shouldn't always necessarily eliminate you, um, but I think having that information is valuable in kind of trying to decipher exactly how that particular player is going right. to win. Now, I, in, I think it's NFL. important here to make sure you tie the film and the metrics together. I'm going to give you a perfect example, and we actually yes. talked about this pre-show. Yes. Derek Brown. Uh, over the last couple of days, there's been a lot of people who are high on Derek Brown are now starting to believe he shouldn't be a top 20, 25 pick because of a poor combine. Now, let's, 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 yeah, his combine. He tested in the 33 percentile for defensive, ta- or defensive linemen. Not great. However, when you put his stats or when you put his numbers into context, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I was telling you this before show, the show, Landon. 
Um, if you look at Derek Brown among defensive tackles who have weighed at least 315 pounds at the combine since 2010. So again, you're talking about typically one techniques, nose tackles. Derek Brown's 10-yard split was the third best of that group since 2010, and his broad jump was the fourth best since 2010. When you pair that with what he does as a player, which is getting upfield quickly and then using his length and his power to basically get underneath offensive linemen, his combine doesn't worry me at all anymore. Actually, it matches up to exactly the player I see on tape. That's where it's important to to contextualize uh, some of this combine data. Yeah, absolutely. And again, kind of going back to what we're saying, uh, you know, the density, player density is a huge thing, of how big they are and, and, and taking that into account and trying to measure a guy like Derek Brown on a field where, you know, this is not his game. You know, this is not this is not what you're asking him to do. Uh, I think even the three cone situation, it's like, well, I mean, how much is he doing that? He's not playing on the edge. He's. He's trying to get through a gap and use right. his strength to continue to get through that gap. How much does that mean that he needs to go five sure. yards that way and then five yards the other way? Not as much. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think, it, again, a lot of this is about contextualizing things. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's important to make sure that you're not eliminating a guy who has amazing tape because he didn't and Especially just well one drill. Like if there's just one that, drill bringing you down, that's yeah, when yeah. you can kind of – you know, pick maybe remove that one and see if everything else matches up. All right. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Absolutely. it's just something that, that needs contextualization and, and don't rule out good players because they didn't test the way you thought. Out Absolutely. Of testing um, and the last matter. spot we're going to touch on is just defensive backs as a whole. Um, obviously, Spark has helped us find some, some defensive backs, especially the elite ones. It does seem like uh, a lot of the best defensive backs in the league, either corner or safety, do have great athleticism. But is there any other things that you look at when it comes to scouting these defensive backs? You know, I mean, I think production-wise, one of the things that I really yes. like is yep. pass deflections. I, I think pass deflections is one of those stats that um, it's like third down completion percentage for quarterbacks where there's a high level of, of translation to the NFL Players that get their hands on footballs in college tend to get their hands 100%. on footballs in the NFL, and um, and, and I think interceptions are so is, is such a noisy stat, you know, and this it, it's, it's so uh, it's it's kind of a rare stat. It's fluky. You know? That's another thing. It can be uh, so fluky. I think past, yeah, it's it's incredibly fluky because guys can just throw you the ball. Pass deflections is something that happens mm-hmm. at such a higher rate. That if it happens over and over consistently, um, that that I think is a lot more of just a stable Absolutely. metric, you know, than, than than interceptions. So I tend to look at guys who get their hands on football in college. Now, there's some downside there, right? Like, you know, Awuzie had a ton of production on the football, getting his hands on you know pass deflections. Didn't have a ton of interceptions. Mm-hmm. That's kind sure. of what we're seeing in in, in in the NFL is that he's there, uh, and then it's it's really a question of did he get his head around in order to, to make a play on the football. I still believe in Ouzier improving here, but that is the kind of thing that you need to watch out for is, okay, these guys are getting their hands on football, but is it consistently a problem that he can't seem to track the football? Like, you know, how good is pass deflection? How good is 
you know, 15 pass deflections when you've had, let's say, 35, sure, sure. you know, point-of-attack opportunities. That's not a great percentage. So, um, again, all I've started to do some work on some of these cornerbacks and their pass deflections per game because uh, that matters, too. If you have a guy playing 10 games versus 14, the one with 14 should have more pass deflections. Uh, but what I have noticed at the very top of the list are some typically pretty good cornerbacks. Uh, here's the, here's what I've got for since 2014 top pass deflections per game: uh, William Jackson, Jordan Lewis, Denzel Ward, James Bradbury, Tre'Davious White, Shaquille Griffin. Uh, pretty good list of guys right there. Now Jordan Lewis isn't on the same caliber of those guys, but if you're averaging that many pass deflections per game, typically means you're you're handling things okay. But again, we need some more context there. We need to find pass rate, you know, pass deflection rate on targets. Uh, that'll be all stuff that we continue to work on, you know, over the next couple of years as analytics become uh, more a part of our draft process. Uh, Landon, just kind of tying things things up. Any overall thoughts on uh, analytics and how we should use them going forward, specifically maybe tied to this draft? I mean, you and I have been doing some version mm-hmm. of this for a long time now, and it's kind of one of those things where you you take something, you, you try it out for a little while, you see how it works, and then you, you kind of hold on to little pieces the here and there, and it all sure. becomes part of your process, right? I, I think the big thing for me, and I, I mean, I've quoted, I've said this so many different times about so many different things, but I think, again, this really, it really sticks here. Absolutely. You need context for all this stuff. Like, you need to be able to explain why this is that way. It's not enough to just take that number and then have that number. You need to be able to try to resolve what you see with athletic testing with what you see on tape and then try to figure out, you know, okay, it's this way, but does that really matter? You count everything, but not everything counts the same, you know? And and, and I think having the kind of context yeah analytics are at their best when you can use the film to kind of verify with what you're seeing right if we watch a film and we see hey Derek brown's in the backfield a lot well he might not have the sacks that some other people have his 12 tackles for a loss you can see that he's in the backfield a lot and that that measures up to uh you know what the you know above their class average it that's how you can use it uh to your advantage we'll continue to talk about analytics this whole draft process uh, when we talk about these players, when we scout the you know the defensive backs and the defensive linemen, we'll make sure we reference a lot of these things. So uh, keep an eye out for that going forward. Uh, make sure you guys are following Landon on Twitter at McCoolBCB. You can follow the show at Locked On Cowboys. Continue to uh, rate us, review us, give us your questions, give us players you want us to watch. Uh, I've been noticing that you guys have been doing that over the last couple of days, uh, and that that always is very nice uh, for us. Um, You can follow me at Marcus underscore Mosier, and we will see you next time.